Welcome to the Life Group Northwest Indiana podcast, where our desire is to share biblical truths from God's Word that will help us become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here. So uh, we're going to continue our series on the laws of study. What do you guys think so far? Eh? Yes. You guys are excited. Okay, Chad enjoys it. That's good. We got one. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, obviously, the the point is to <laughs> is to take these things and put them into practice. Joanna is already has already taken twenty seven photos of Gabe today. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she is just rapid fire on on uh, social media. Yeah, I'm such an easy target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the snakes I've been. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> too late. Too late. Uh, so we're continuing our series today, and we're going to jump into that. But before we do, uh, we're going to give a little bit of a review, like we have been doing. We'll give an introduction, then we'll get into today's law. Yeah, let's do it. So the, um, the four steps of interpretation. Number one, we said grasping the text in their town. Does anyone remember what that means? Their town versus our town. Uh, our town means not their town. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just, just to quickly um, uh, remind you guys about that, uh, the question is what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Uh, you always have to ask what it meant to them before you ask what it means to me. Uh, growing up, I was always thinking the opposite. What does this text mean to me? And it's good to be practical, but um, again, the Bible does not, you know, uh, the epistles it never said, Paul the Apostle to the Americans. You know, uh, it was always to the Galatians, to the Ephesians. And so you have to understand what the uh, people of Ephesus were going through, what the people of you know, Galatia were going through. And once you understand that, you can better understand um, the interpretation for you. Um, so you first have to ask what it meant to them. Today, we're, I think we're going to get a bit more into applying it to us, um, it, even a few standards, things like that. And so, uh, But that's the last step. The first step is understanding what it meant to them. <clears throat> uh, number two, uh, measuring the width of the river to cross. Does anyone know what that one means? The river is... It's up there in case you forgot. Uh, is that a hand raised or is that just a hand on your head thing? Well, it was a hand on my head, but it's hand raised. Oh, it's both. It's both. Okay. What is the difference between the biblical audience and us? Yes, yes. And uh, there are some differences that are bigger than others. If you read Leviticus, you're going to be a lot further away from today. Not just time, but even covenant. One is the old covenant where you talk about the Sabbath, where you talk about trimming your beard a certain way, and uh, stuff, that, stuff that you just don't have to think about. It, it's not, uh, it just does not pertain to you, at least the, a lot of the old covenants do not. And so um, uh, I've, I've talked with some guys who they became very skeptical because they would think, well, this passage says we have to do this weird thing like the food laws, and we don't have to do it today. So Christians are hypocrites because they're not obeying the whole thing. Yeah. And they don't understand it's a different covenant. It's two completely different uh, jobs entirely. And uh, so um, understanding that, of course, we have language. That's a big one that we've talked about. Obviously, Hebrew, very different than English. 
Uh, Greek is a lot more similar, like alpha looks a lot like an A, beta looks quite a bit like a B, and so, uh, but not just the language, but even idioms, things like that, that we talked about. So we said, uh, the width of the river, understand how far you have to cross uh, to know what you're dealing with. Number three, we said, crossing the principalizing bridge. Um, does anyone know what that one means, or what um, any points underneath that is? Sir? What is the meaning in this text? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, what does the text mean? And once again, um, I think I have, yeah, the same thing. What is the meaning of it? Um, so you understand uh, the history of it, the etymology sometimes, colloquialism, what it means to them before, once again, you apply it to us. And then number four, uh, grasping the text in our town. I think that one's a no-brainer. That's the one we all want to get to, is how does this help us? <clears throat> but it's the fourth one. Then I think we had some points underneath that. Does anyone know one of the principles in order to make it apply to us? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry? Oh, no. Uh, th those are more of the specific laws, but this one is just um, building the bridge. Again, kind of an abstract concept. Um, I'll just give one or two. One of them is um, the principles need to be timeless. Mm. That is to say, you can't just read a passage. Um, I, again, I've, I've heard this um, uh, when I was in high school. The, the big thing was MySpace. And, and, and yeah. everyone, I, you know, uh, youth pastors would be preaching hard against MySpace. Yeah. And it was this big thing. So they would use, like, an obscure passage and then somehow relate it to MySpace. <laughs> and then the whole message would be on MySpace. Uh. And um, it, it's so funny because today yeah. people almost want to forget about that sure. era. It was just so weird. And, um, they got fact, Facebook accounts now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but the, the big thing was that that message wasn't timeless. You know, because now it's so outdated. A lot like clothes can be outdated in just a few years. Oh, that's so 2008. And now it's, you know, and um, it's, it's so odd. Uh, I'm not saying that outfit, okay? It's just, it's just, I just happen to be pointing that way. It's an illustration today. <laughs> <laughs> Study. Nice um, shirt. Yeah. yeah. But the fact is it that's should be middle. timeless. Another one is uh, it should not be culturally bound. Mm. That is to say, if one specific culture struggles with it, it doesn't mean that another one does. Uh, you know, every, every church has different standards with clothing and things like that. But the fact is, when you, if you go to India, the clothing is just different. You know, I've seen um, men wear, um, it looks just like a pink dress in India. But it's, it's accepted there, because it's, it's not a dress, it's a tunic, if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but anyways, uh, the, the whole thing is, um, do they say it like that? Uh, well, it's, 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 it's yeah, pretty I much. mean, I, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm just gathering <laughs> information <laughs> no, they, for interpretation. Um, <laughs> anyways, but the thing is just because something is maybe not accepted in your culture does not mean it's anathema in every culture. Uh, you know, I looked into it, and apparently pink wasn't even considered a feminine color until, I think, within the last, I want to say, maybe uh, four decades, I want to say. Like, like and, 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 and again, when I say that, um, <laughs> even now, I, I think in the past, I think 15 or 20 years, so it's, it's, it hasn't been <laughs> Everything keeps going back to you. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> Anyways, um, but even then, uh, 
Pink has not been feminine for, I think, the past 15 or 20 years. And the fact is, things change, and that's the whole point. So I'm glad we yeah. actually coordinated this so yeah. we could wear it just to exemplify the fact You're that all, things You all changed. were jumping to conclusions, so. weren't you? <laughs> you took the um, bait. <laughs> you took it. But the fact is, uh, things change over time. Uh, things have always changed over time. Uh, one, one passage about hair, where it talks about the shame unto men to, to have long hair. Even then, there are scholars that debate, was that specifically the culture of the day, or is it a sin, even to this day? Uh, and that's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'll get into that today, but the fact is, um, you have to consider this. Is this a cultural thing, or is this like sin in general? Uh, and Paul laid out the, the roots of sin, adultery, fornication, cleanliness, and saviousness. Dress standards just wasn't one of them. And we can talk about that. But again, he didn't mention, and long hair as one of the, the, the big sins. Wrath, malice, hippie hair. You know, it just, it just wasn't up there. Uh, or, or, or scraggly beards or just, you know, whatever the, the standard is. And so the fact is it's fine to have standards, and I think everyone should have standards, but... Um, is uh, the things that we get from Scripture that really change our life should not be culturally bound. Um, uh, basically, if you get something from Scripture, can you preach that in any other culture and it still makes sense? If you were to preach on MySpace and you go to places in Africa, especially today, uh, you'd be like, this, this just doesn't, doesn't translate well. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so, um, but the Bible is timeless. You know, adultery, that's, that's something that you can still preach on 2,000 years later, and it's still wrong. Uh, along that line, I was listening to a podcast, and a preacher was saying that a college-age uh, young man was uh, talking to him about music, and he was struggling because his pastor would preach that the only godly music, the only scriptural music, was bluegrass. <laughs> And yeah, and I want to hear the argument so bad. I know. <laughs> I mean, we can we could probably take a wild guess what region of the country these people are located in, but uh, it's but like a Greek word for banjo. Or something. <laughs> Maybe. And so, what surprised you, LA? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that sounds culturally uh, accurate. No, but the, the whole concept was if you were to pick up that truth, would you be able to preach that in Africa? Culturally speaking, I mean, it doesn't even fit our culture here, much less uh, in, in another completely different country. So it, it fits that narrative uh, or that concept, what he's described, describing today. It's good. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll get into that. Do you want me to quickly review the sure, other laws? Sure. Okay. So, um, or Ashley, you want to go first with the first law? Definition. Oh, there you yes. go. <laughs> uh, so we talked about the law of definition. What do words mean? Uh, English words change over time. And, uh, you know, like, uh, like the word gay, you know, used to mean mm -hmm. just happy. You know, Don, we now are gay apparel. Um, you know, we, uh, it's kind of weird to sing that song today. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, but definitions change. And especially when you get into Greek and Hebrew, you don't have to know how to read every single Greek and Hebrew word, but you can look things up. There's a lot of apps out there. It's a click of a button, mm -hmm. and you can see the basic word there. Um, but uh, words do change. You know, um, one word is um, like even the word meat. We think of meat today as burgers, steak, whatever. But a meat offering was literally an offering that didn't have meat in it. <laughs> meat just meant food in general. Mm. And a meat offering was like a grain offering. It would be flour, bread. So literally a meat offering was not mm. a meat offering. Uh, or like the word issue. That person has issues. Um, issue literally meant fountain. 
Like if a person has an issue of blood, it meant a fountain of blood, mm -hmm. a few different um, uh, terms for that. Or like guard your heart because out of it are the issues of life. It's the fountain of life. In other words, uh, you can't live without your physical heart. Therefore, you, you need to guard your spiritual heart. Mm -hmm. And so, but words change all the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, English as well as Greek and Hebrew. Um, second law was the law of usage. Does anyone know what that one referred to? <laughs> it meant the usage of something. I'm sure. Uh, I, I'm just. I'm just thinking. All my students will say things like that to try to answer it without awesome. answering anything. But well, we don't do that here, guys, right? Never. We just don't answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we show them. Get your phone. <laughs> Who's the idiot now? That's so, uh, anyways, a lot of usage. We talked about um, idioms, colloquialisms, expressions, um, things that don't translate as well into English. Um, like even the people um, uh, talked about when Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt. Uh, some people believe that was a colloquialism. That just meant she she was um, she was dumbstruck. She literally became like a vegetative state. Just went into shock and then just died. Like became comatose. Hmm. Um, other people think she literally turned to pillar of salt. Obviously, God can turn to uh, turn anyone to salt. Like He can do that. But some people think that might have been a colloquialism. That was more of a Hebrew term that just meant um, she, um, in fact, we see a different example with, um, I think it was uh, uh, Abigail's husband, uh, mm -hmm. was it uh, Na mm -hmm. Naboth, Nabal, I always mm -hmm. forget, it's one of those. Mm -hmm. um, but the Bible says he turned in like this vegetative state mm -hmm. where he just kind of was in shock. So, um, but the fact is when you read something, if it sounds kind of weird, don't just gloss over it and think, ah, oh, that's just kind of weird Bible stuff. Uh, these were real people, they had real expressions, and so chances are it could be something, or even the term seasoned with salt, uh, let your speech be all with grace seasoned with salt. If you look at that term, um, every sacrifice had to be seasoned with salt, or it would not be accepted. And so God will not accept us if we are not seasoned with salt, if we're not purified, if we're not preserved. Uh, we're the salt of the earth, we must preserve the earth and make it acceptable. So things like that. Next we see... Um, the law of uh, context. Can anyone think of an example of the law of context? Yes, sir. Okay, I was ready with the definition. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an example. But, but you raised your hand. Nice. Context means we have to draw the meaning from the context of the words. Like... Um, go ahead, Ashley. <laughs> 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 I, I, I was thinking of, like, they, because they give an example, I can do all things with grace. Yeah, because by that verse, oh, I can sin through Christ. I can do mm -hmm. all things through Christ. That's true. Yeah, you could take a verse to mean anything you want it to out of context. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the news does it all the time where they'll take some guy's one statement and, oh, he meant... And if you just back up a minute in a speech or whatever, oh, no, actually, he meant this. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah, and uh, the best way to seek context is simply back up a few verses and okay, what's what's he talking about here? And look at a few verses before, a few verses after. Nine times out of ten, you'll understand what's going on. Um, also, look at the the who, what, when, where, why. All those different W words. Uh, who who is the speaker here? Whom is he talking to? What's the audience? And when is he talking? Uh, again, going back to the different um, uh, the, the width of the river, right? Is this old covenant, new covenant? Uh, Jesus said this, but this was before he was crucified, so it's technically still old covenant. And so, a lot of ways to dissect those. 
Uh, next, we have the law of historical background. Anyone know what that one means or what we're talking about there? Sven? Using things that aren't in the Bible but um, lead to, uh, like the philosopher, and he wrote a book, he's not a Christian, but he wrote a book about the history of the time. Mm -hmm. um, there's been different plaques and things mm -hmm. that are found, but you can't just disregard what the Bible says just because of that stuff. You need to look at what the Bible says. Yeah, so obviously you put the Bible first and foremost, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you can't read any other book on the issue. Yeah. Uh, Josephus, um, around during some of the time, and wrote a lot about um, the Jews in the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, describes a lot of things in vivid details, talks about the Jews during that time. Uh, it's good to know about the Roman history, what all was going on here. Um, you know, the Jewish history is not the only history during that time. There's a lot, you know, all these other cultures during the same time. And um, if you read about, bless you, if you read about, um, like, uh, Isaiah, if you read about the Babylonians, there's a lot of good books out there that explain it. Uh, the Jewish culture, I love reading about the Jewish mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. and about what different um, terms meant and well, what about this mezuzah, what's, what's, what's that about? And what's, so a lot, a lot of good stuff to read uh, <clears throat> that are extra-biblical stuff. Number five, we said the law of logic and evidence. Does anyone know what that one was? We're getting into more recent territory logic and evidence going once going twice <laughs> ashley Dang. the star of the day um taking things uh with we can use our own mind whether someone's preaching or reading it or whatnot if it doesn't sometimes if it doesn't make sense it if it doesn't lead to where it seems to be going we have to look back but we can't just disregard mm -hmm. what they're saying, but we need to study it for ourselves to see if it's in a logical manner mm -hmm. to show what they're trying to say. That's good. Yeah, d does it make sense, right? Um, there are, uh, I've heard some preaching that it sounded good, mm -hmm. but the best way to understand if something is logical is to take it to the last step. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, if, if this trail is a good trail, mm -hmm. follow to the end of the trail and then see where that leads to. The, the example you gave, um, I can do all things through Christ. You could do anything absolutely you want through Christ. Okay, so I can sin through Christ. You know, yeah. you have to take something and understand it doesn't make sense when you carry it out all the way. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, uh, even atheism. Uh, if you take atheism to the nth degree, uh, there's no God, therefore there are no rules. There's no such thing as right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So why do so many atheists stand up for social justice and for all these rights? There's no such thing as rights yeah. if there is no God. So if you take atheism to its nth degree, mm -hmm. there's no such thing as right and wrong. And so you can take any idea mm -hmm. and just follow it out and then see where it leads to. And if it, and if it leads to something absolutely horrible, you know it's not good logic in some way. Uh, let me see. Next we have uh, the law of precedent was the last one that we had covered. The law of precedent, not president. Um, precedent. This was one I think I was not here for because Correct. I, we, were, we were out. Uh, yes, ma'am. We must not violate the known usage of a word and then invent a new meaning. Yes. Um, something precedent precede is a term we get from that. Uh, so something came before it. Um, I don't know if you uh, gave the example, but... Um, like in Revelation, uh, Revelation is very weird if you don't understand what precedes it. There's a reason why it's the very last book of the Bible, because mm -hmm. it references so many other previous books. Even all the way back to Genesis, um, one was um, uh, John had a vision about there was this, uh, this woman, she had, there was 12 stars and the sun and the moon. What's all that mean? 
Well, in Genesis, you have Joseph. He had a dream about you know, uh, 11 stars. He was the 12th star. You have the sun and the moon that represents his parents. It looks like she's referring to Israel. Uh, you know, that woman there looks a lot like that. And, and what about this with the seven heads and ten horns? There's a lot of precedent where you don't just say, oh, therefore, you know, Trump is the Antichrist or Obama was the Antichrist. Or, you, know, you can't just jump to any conclusion. Is there a precedent? Is there something that comes before that hints at what something can mean? That's really good. Uh, thank you for taking the time to go through that. And I think it's really helpful. We need to really hit these. Uh, if we're not careful, we tend to forget these steps. Um, and again, the, the importance is to take these laws, and again, they transcend biblical study, but also uh, when it comes to Bible study, you want to get through to the proper meaning, and, and that's what we're uh, trying to do. Now, before we get into today's, I just want to kind of in, introduce the topic a little bit. Uh, how would you describe America today? If someone were to ask you, well, I'm asking you, so how, how would you do it? <laughs> how would you describe America? Just like a stranger? Or? Sure. Mm -hmm. or, or, yeah. You might describe it different to me than a stranger. It's possible, but however. Free. Free? Okay. Uh -huh. If I were to describe it to someone else that's an American, it would definitely be um, unrest and okay. not, not coming together. I'm trying to look for the words. <laughs> <laughs> not coming together. Yeah. <laughs> Divided. Divided. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I had the question first as, well, how would you describe America? That's how, if you describe America, you think of freedom. How would you describe America day, today? Okay, well, now I'm bringing in a little bit more of, you know, my, uh, the events that are happening in our world today or in our country today, and we may think differently. I was thinking uh, today, we're studying how when I was a kid watching the Olympics, it seemed like everybody wanted America to win. You know, we all wanted America, and we definitely wanted to beat, you know, China and Russia, and it was a big deal. I mean, the Olympics was, it was a big deal to win. Um, and we pulled, we pulled for our country. I think we still do, but there's, today there's a lot more, as, I, as an adult, I see there's just, there's a platform, there's an agenda, there's all these things, and it's like, I don't even really care to watch it anymore just because I don't want to be at this propaganda that's just constantly being, I mean, really, if you watch commercials, it's all propaganda. Um, <laughs> it, it, there, there's <laughs> some commercials. I'm thinking, okay, I, I saw their, um, their uh, virtue signaling, but what were they advertising? Yeah, right. Oh, that was Wendy's? What? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. That had nothing to do with it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And so, and so ultimately, they were I think I read somewhere that it was, uh, the like the ratings were horrible for the Olympics. So that's a good reason why. Maybe they should pay attention to that, uh, that kind of information. But we're not going to talk about, about uh, <laughs> ratings today. Um, but uh, so today we're told by leaders, in in order to have unity, uh, we must accept diversity, um, or we are the ones disrupting harmony. So you said you know disrupting. So ultimately, again, if, if uh, that's been a shift um, in, in, in perspective, now if we don't accept uh, diversity, we are disrupting harmony. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. We know there is diversity in this world, and that's okay. But again, it's the concept of America and what we thought it was like a United States, where now it's divided. It's 
it's turned into something else. And I see that kind of mindset where, you know, if you don't accept me, then you're, then you're the issue. That's a forced unity. That makes sense? Yeah, if, if you don't accept my sin, then you don't accept me. Right, right. You, you, there is a difference. And you're the sin. issue, yeah. right. That, and so in that case, it's not, it's not a forced unity. It's what they would say, but it's, kind of, it's compliance, right? It's what it is. We're forced into some form of compliance masked as unity. Um, and so, um, so interestingly, unity, I looked up a few definitions. Uh, one was a state of being one, makes a unit, that makes sense. Uh, one, interesting, the absence of diversity. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Uh, literally, uh, the definition. So this study is not supposed to be political. That wasn't the point I was trying to make in here. I was trying to make us think. However, the absence of unity is often based on politics. It's really the case. If you talk about in, in, uh, in Ephesians, I believe it was, uh, the, uh, talking about strife. In other words, it's literally politicking. Like literally the word means politicking. Like you're going around trying to gain votes for your side, causing division within a church that's supposed to be a unit, supposed to have unity. And so, um, so the question is, with all this diversity that we see, can we have, how can we have unity? How can we have unity? And I, and I believe the answer is the gospel first. The gospel is what brings us unity. Uh, it, 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 the gospel changes everything. And so a few things in, in introduction that I want to talk about was um, it is in Christ that we find unity in the church. And this Holy Spirit himself actually is the one who gives us, if you turn to, uh, you don't have to because of time, but Ephesians 4, um, it says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. This is a prayer that I would pray, that I would do these things, that, thought that the Holy Spirit would help me do this. It's interesting, ver verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. To keep it. The Spirit, we, we do nothing, we did nothing to gain this unity, but we can do a lot to keep unity within the church. To protect it. Um, and so, uh, and then eventually it goes into there's one body, one spirit, uh, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. That's unity. One, right? That's unity. So we could say that uh, we find unity in the church. Uh, interestingly, if you go to Ephesians, it talks about one building fitly framed together. We're one body uh, or one building, as Ephesians would say. Um, and so that's one. I was thinking of another one. It is God who unites us in marriage. God creates the unit in marriage. Um, uh, Jesus quoted uh, Matthew 19 and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let a man put asunder. So I, we would say like divorce comes from man, not from God. And going back to the idea of the church, if there's disruption in the church, it's not God doing it. It's man. We're the problem. Um, and even going now into the word of God, it's united because it's his word. He's not divided, right? His word is not divided. Um, so uh, the Bible Project, if you listen to that, they talk about the Bible is a unified story leading to Jesus Christ. That's, that's kind of their, their, their mantra and it is a unified story. Um, and now, if you were to pull out a book 
you may not understand the storyline, but the Bible was never intended to, like one book was never intended to be read alone. It's one book in a line of, uh, in a storyline that leads to Christ. Um, and so if it becomes disjointed, changed, manipulated, that's not God's doing. This is the word of God now. We're getting into, we're talking about laws of study in the Bible. If there is confusion there, what we can say is that the problem is not God. It's our understanding of his word, right? It's our interpretation, how we're handling it. Um, and last week we talked about the church of Berea, that they handled it correctly. They, um, their unity resulted in the fact that they listened and then they studied the scriptures and found that it was true, based upon truth. Um, so thus, unity was attained through truth, not social or relational um, basis. So again, kind of goes back to what we said before, like in many cases we need to adjust what we believe based upon like social things, right? The pressure to change or to accept something based upon social. Well, actually, no, our standard should be based upon truth, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so their social and relational unity was grounded in truth ultimately. So the question is, how do we keep the law of unity of the scriptures. How do we keep that? When we're studying, how do we go through and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and follow that properly? Um, so I'm not going to read the whole, uh, the whole description they give. I'm just going to read one line, and I feel like it really encompasses all of uh, the law, it's, it, of this law. Um, and again, if you haven't caught it, the law is unity. Okay, law number seven. Um, it, this basically we could define as this. An interpretation must be consistent with the rest of scripture. That's pretty clear, I think. I'll read it again. An interpretation must be consistent with the rest of Scripture. Yeah, if I could give one quick Please. example. So, uh, being consistent, there are some verses in Scripture that by itself, mm -hmm. it could mean three different things. Mm -hmm. If you read that one verse, yeah. it could seem, oh, this you could lose your salvation, maybe, according to this verse. But it could be referring to this or this. There's one in Hebrews chapter 6 where it really looks like, man, it looks like you could lose your salvation mm -hmm. if you take that one verse by itself, even a whole chapter sometimes. Yeah. But when you compare it to the rest of Scripture, you have to test the incidental with the systematic. So if you have like, you know, uh, three other books and 15 other chapters that mean one thing, and you have one passage that could mean two things, one is way off and one agrees with the other 15 chapters, mm -hmm. you always side with what the consistency is throughout scripture. One, one interesting, as I was studying through this, I was think, trying to think of a biblical application because they give the illustration of Trinity. So in this passage, in the, in the explanation, they talk about the fact that the Trinity is not referenced. The word Trinity is not in the scriptures, just like um, the rapture is not. But the, the theme is all throughout the scriptures. You know, Dale, on the way to church, we were listening to a sermon this morning, and he said, he said, is Jesus in every book of the Bible? I was like, that's a great question. It really is a great question. And I, and I had to explain to him that, no, he's by name not referenced in the Old Testament. He's in every book of the New Testament, I believe, but he's, he's, he's not mentioned by name in the Old Testament. However, we know that he's all throughout the Old Testament. Like, they didn't know, we didn't know his name was going to be Jesus in, in, uh, when he was born, but all throughout the scriptures, he is all, he's throughout the whole thing. Um, and so I thought it was actually a pretty mature 
uh, question from an eight-year-old. But um, as I was thinking through some passages, my, one thought that hit me was the centurion who had his servant who needed to be healed. He was sick. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go to your home. And he said, no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. He said, you have, you have the authority. You know, if I tell one of my people to go do something, he goes and it gets done. Just speak the word only, right? And, 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 and Jesus was amazed. Remember, he was, he was shocked by that man's faith. But we wouldn't, at that point, we didn't see long distance healing. We didn't see that. That that wasn't something, in fact, the fact that these miracles were happening was astonishing. But I, I believe in that point, it chronologically, as, as far as recorded in the Gospels, there's no reference to a long-distance healing. So this man was exhibiting faith in what God could do based upon history, but not something that was necessarily uh, within the text, per se. Does, does that make sense? So I felt like it was a, when it, we're talking about Trinity or things like that, things not necessarily referenced, he was like a, a, a biblical example of something like that. Um, so I have a few things as far as uh, points, uh, but did you have any other specific references you wanted to touch on? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, there is one, this, um, this guy was preaching on how, uh, uh, he, he was like, basically we have this bank account in heaven with God of all of our good deeds that we've done. And you can make a withdrawal from it, just like a bank account. You can say, God, I have done all these good things, and I want something from you. And then he used the story of Hezekiah, mm. where Hezekiah, God said, Hezekiah, you're going to die, get yeah. your things in order, you're a good king, but you know, you, your time is now to die. And Hezekiah said, God, I've done this for you, I've done this for you, I've done this for you, mm. give me more time. And Isaiah said, all right, God will give you more time, but you're not going to like it. Fine. And uh, it, it ruined Hezekiah's life because he didn't want God's will. But this guy, he used that story to say, you can make a withdrawal from your good bank account. And basically, you, uh, yeah, almost like God is a genie, you know, mm -hmm. I've done all these good things, mm -hmm. so grant me these wishes. Mm -hmm. and, um, but it was a very bad interpretation yeah. Yeah. because if you look at it throughout Scripture, Hezekiah was in the wrong. He was saying, I deserve this from you. Mm -hmm. And you see other examples where people said, I yeah. deserve this, God, and it never turned out. And I, it was maybe a very bad example of this, but it no, that's, that's, conveys the truth. No, that's really good. And, and we do that in prayer, right? Without get, I mean, that's not the point of today's study, but I, I think when you hear something like that, that's, that's tempting God um, and, and manipulating God. Um, as if he owes us. Um, and if, like we talked about last night, the very ability we have to obey him is given to us by him. Uh, so that's, that's really good. Um, so jumping into a few things, I want to give some really quick points. I'm going I'm to read this quickly, so stay with me. This is pretty basic stuff. I don't, uh, maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't. But number one, there are no contradictions in, in Scripture. Uh, if there seems to be a contradiction, it must be in my understanding of the Scripture. So this is what happens. So you hear things and you disagree. Say, uh, you say someone you feel takes much scripture and uses it as a weapon. Have you ever, anybody ever thought of that happening? Okay. What often happens is we tend to think that that's how God thinks. And that's not true. God's word is truth. It's consistent. There's no contradiction. It was man who mishandled it, Right? And so we have to be very careful not to judge God by mankind's works. And so first thing we need to understand is it, if there seems to be a contradiction, 
in my understanding, uh, it is my understanding. So it's kind of like between Paul and James. It's a classic one. Are, are they divided? Well, if you read it a specific way, it sounds like they're saying the opposite things. Unless you study and you start to see that they're actually saying the same thing. Uh, just in, it's, it's just in a different way. Um, and interestingly enough, because, because God's not divided, if, if God's not contradicted, it's interesting because they both claim, they both claim to be a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if they disagree, their message comes from God, right? They're both slaves. That's the word servant, servant doulos. They're both slaves of, of God. So if their message from God to the churches or to the scattered Jews, if, if that's their message, then God is divided, right? And that's not the case. We know that. So we have to think logically there, and that's where uh, this can come into. Uh, number two, since there are no contradictions in Scripture, I must make sure that my interpretation is with the unity of Scriptures. I must make sure I go through that and be, and be patient and wait and see what it says, kind of like what you said, see it to the end. Mm -hmm. um, real quickly, some passages seem to contradict another <laughs> passage, but any particular passage or particular book of the Bible will not cover all doctrine. This is really important. Uh, what we want is for a specific book or passage to be exhaustive. We really do. Uh, and uh, commentators are talking about this a lot, and D.A. Carson, he said, his question was, must everything be said about every doctrine on every occasion? Must silence de-emphasis uh, de uh, or, excuse me, I'll read it again. Must silence or de-emphasis signify ignorance or disagreement? <clears throat> yeah, a good example of this yeah. would be um, the doctrine of angels. There is not one whole chapter on everything about angels. Mm -hmm. The angels look exactly like this. Here are all the abilities that angels can do, and yeah. it's just yeah. not much there. Yeah. This is why you get so many theories about angels, about the Nephilim and about mm -hmm. the cherubim, seraphim, and all these other things. And um, it's because... We have bits and pieces throughout Scripture, mm -hmm. and we can put the pieces together, get a general idea of it. Um, but even then, there's a lot of disagreement just because because the Bible isn't about angels. It's about God, yeah, that's and good. it's about God's relationship to us. Amen. Angels were always servants. Uh, angels would strengthen Jesus when he was physically weak. Mm -hmm. Angels would deliver messages, but they were the mailmen. That's what, that's what angels were. Mm -hmm. They were the mailmen, mm -hmm. but it's not about the mailmen. It's about the message that yeah. comes from the mailmen. Yeah. And so, um, but that's, that's one reason is um, it's not exhaustive. You have yeah. bits and pieces, but you don't have a whole chapter on it. Well, one thing that we went through going through the Gospels chronologically was parables. Many cases, we expect a parable to be a doctrinal statement when they're illustrations of a premise. He's trying to teach people, and some of these people are not... Pharisees. Some of these people are trying to get through the day. They're trying to feed their family that day. So Jesus would use common everyday terms to explain a very specific thing. Talking about the kingdom is this. The kingdom of God is like unto. And so that's the frame we have to view. Remember we talked about that over and over again. And sometimes we, the commentators, or uh, or we will read it as if, oh, well, because this is this. And, and, then it, and then you take it all the way through as if it's a doctrine when actually it's just an illustration, and it's and listen to this. It's not an illustration for us to kind of pick and choose this or that. It's it's the intent specifically that was used for that story, like that the way because Jesus would interchange his illustrations, his parables, and change them, adapt them to the group. 
So they're not always meaning the same thing. And so again, that talks about unity there where we may think that and, and create doctrine that's different from the rest of the Bible because of a parable or something along that line. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, when I've been witnessing to people, I'll often use illustrations. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like if a building is on fire and there's only one fire escape, you know, I'll mm -hmm. use something like that. But then some of them will be like, well, could I smother the fire? Could I? And it's all, I'm like, bro, you're, you're missing the point. Yes. I'm not, don't, don't try to dissect it. Yeah. Look at the big picture. That's good. And that's what parables are. You, some people, they dissect everything. Like uh, the prodigal son, I've been diving in and I love it. But does the field that the, the older brother worked in represent this? Mm -hmm. Does this? It's mm -hmm. like, look, it's broad strokes. They're not the yeah. individual nitty-gritty stuff. <clears throat> no, that's really good. Uh, and, and so lastly, as we're closing, I know it's late, um, we mentioned earlier about how God takes diversity and makes it unity. But if the scriptures are unified or have unity, why is there so much diversity of interpretation? You hear that? So we kind of went the other way around. Because there's so much diversity, how do we get unity? Well, in this case, we have unity, but how is there so much diversity of interpretation? You follow that? Did you have a, any thought on that? Yeah, I mean, Paul gave the example with the church as far as the church is a body, and we are the members of the body. We talk, you know, we're talking about church membership, but a member, it's a body part, an arm, a leg, a liver, a lung. And those are all very different, but they work together. A lung is very different from the liver, but they both work with one function, keep you alive. <laughs> That's the point of your body parts, to keep you alive. And so when you look at different um, passages, sometimes you can say, I could sort of say it this way or that way, but you have to look at the overall message. What is the overall Bible saying? It's our relationship to Christ. Um, one other example would be a team. Um, you know, football players, basketball players, they, they often are very different people. They mm -hmm. often argue with each other. Yeah. But what's the point of the team is to win the game. Yeah. And so you always have to take a step back and say, what's the overarching theme of the entire thing? That's yeah. to, to look at it. So what does the overall Bible teach rather than the nitty-gritty stuff? And if you, you want to use the team concept as a sports fan, we know that there are sometimes players who make it about them at the expense of the team. And so those are the kind of guys that those guys want to get out of that locker room right away. Now, uh, getting into the point of, you know, how do, why is there so much diversity? Um, <clears throat> in many cases, or most cases, uh, there's a lot of, <coughs> excuse me, unity in doctrine. There really is, it really is a lot of unity in doctrine. It's kind of everything else. Kind of talking about last week when we were getting into precedent, how we, Kind of because we don't have a clear picture, now we're trying to go by what we have. And then sometimes we may be more firm in areas where we should be not so firm uh, and so on. And so that's where I think the confusion comes where there is so much diversity. <clears throat> because we sometimes, what we want is we want to have a whole chapter on angels. For us, we want to have this is life, live it this way. And but we, as we talked about last night, for some of you who were there, <clears throat> is that God doesn't work uh, static with, with a static straight line. He, he doesn't, like you said, uh, if each vital, if each part of the body is different, operates differently for the body, but it does operate differently, meaning it's not going to look the same yeah, every I, time. Yeah, there, one of the, I know that we're short on time, 
Um, the stereotype of several different cultures, uh, I know people in India that send their children to America, or even Jews, uh, quite a few cultures, even some Asians, the whole thing is you have, they want, the parents want their child to be a lawyer or a doctor. Hmm. And basically that's it. Yeah. And that's it. But the thing is, it's so sad for the children because not all of them even enjoy being a doctor or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But in their, in the parents' mind, that is the only definition of success. Yeah. Lawyer or doctor or something bigger than that. And the fact is, God is not like that with us. Yeah. You have to be this exact way to mm -hmm. be the perfect Christian. You have to have a certain, uh, you know, uh, you have to carry your Bible a certain way. You have to mm -hmm. have this type of thing. God is not a micromanager, mm -hmm. and God gives us liberty. Mm -hmm. God gives us that breathing room where, hey, if you want to worship me this way, that's not a sin either. If you mm -hmm. want to worship me this way, this isn't. That's not a sin. If you want to, if you want to sing before you pray, go for it. Mm -hmm. If you want to pray and then sing it, you know. But when there's liberty, there's going to be differences, and that's fine. Yeah, and that, and that goes. So I, that's where that diversity can be understandable and we have to understand that now if there's crossing lines of unity and doctrine now we need to have conversations and at that point maybe there's even cause of separation if that doctrinal point is where they're trying to like in first john where they're trying to take jesus out of away from the messiah and separate the two that's an issue uh and so uh that's all we have for time today uh for this i uh this is a pretty actually a pretty deep topic yeah there's a lot more uh ideas. yeah yeah i mean you, we could go on and on um we did try to hit some of the main core pieces today but anybody have any thoughts today as we close thank you for joining us today we pray the holy ghost showed you how christ is supreme do you know jesus christ have you been born again by god's grace through faith alone if you have questions concerning eternal life through Jesus Christ, please visit lifegroupnwi.com or email us at connect at lifegroupnwi.com.